Happy Saturday. It's August 20th, 2022, and you are listening to Morning Meeting. I'm Ashley Baker. And I'm Michael Haney. And we are two of your deputy editors here at Airmail. Oh, go ahead. Well, I don't have nothing to say. <laughs> you weren't going to say welcome to the show? No, that's what you usually say. No, that's what you usually say. Hi, greetings from your favorite old married couple, ladies and gentlemen. Here we are. Clearly, Michael and I are the only two people left in the United States that are actually working this week. It seems like everyone is on holiday, but here we are delivering the best of the news from here and abroad, all in the name of morning meeting. All in the name of morning meeting. August is supposed to be a slow month, but it just keeps popping and percolating, so... We got a lot to talk about, and we have a wonderful issue. We got great guests this week. Got Flora Gill, Joseph Bullmore, Buzz Bissinger. So, what's not to love? The theme of this episode is marijuana and nirvana, and I would like for you to title it that on Apple Podcasts. (laughs) We have a lot to discuss. It's funny, Michael. This is our last episode in which we are a strictly American production. I don't even know about that. Michael, this is the last episode of Morning Meeting I will be recording here in New York because... Oh, yes. This is the last episode in in which we are strictly based in one country. I feel like such a traitor because for the last hundred episodes, we've been here proselytizing about how New York is the best city in the world. It is. But London is a close number two, and I'm moving to London this time next week. I will be reporting live from Kensington. Here we go, Michael. It's about to get more exciting over here. The Kensington Studios are opening. Old Blighty awaits my lovely Ashley. And you're all over there in the UK. You're getting the most wonderful treasure in all of New York coming your way. I envy you all. I'm going to miss you terribly, but you know that I'm ready for your visit. And we're going to have a big dinner party for you when you arrive. I could not be more excited. We're not only going to be bringing you all the news and scandal from the United States, but we're also going to be diving deeper into the UK and all the gossip. So just a warning. It's about to get spicy. I have an important question. It's actually news related. Are you bringing your Roomba to the UK? I'm so distressed about this. <laughs> I'm not bringing my Roomba because there's this whole electrical situation. I could put it on an adapter converter, but I'm going to save that for my Dyson hairdryer. I only say it because Jeff Bezos and Amazon bought Roomba in the last week for I don't know how many billions of dollars. And you were, as always, an early adapter. And here you are. So... It turns out I'm not the only one expatriating. We've got Buzz Bissinger, who's thinking of expatriating. He has our View From Here column this week, and he is talking about the frenzy to get a foreign passport. Just in case Trump gets reelected, just in case he plans on fleeing the country as soon as possible. I'm just getting ahead of the trend, scarily. Yeah, it's kind of something that's been bubbling up. You've heard it talking about people who can either get passports because they have, they can trace their lineage back to grandparents. Certain countries allow this. And then there's also the golden visa that other people have been sort of like trying to invest in through European countries getting the EU visa. But Buzz is here to talk all about it. Buzz Bissinger is a journalist and an author. He is probably best known for his nonfiction book, Friday Night Lights, which became the TV series that we know and love. He's a longtime contributing editor at Vanity Fair, and he's in fact the subject of an HBO documentary called Buzz. He won the Pulitzer Prize in 1987 for his reporting on corruption in the Philadelphia court system. He wrote an incredible article in 98 called Shattered Glass, which was the expose of the New Republic writer Stephen Glass, which was recently revisited in airmail. He wrote the Vanity Fair cover story on Caitlyn Jenner. I mean, this guy's done it all. He also wrote one of my favorite ever stories for GQ magazine, Michael, back in your day. Which, and we're going to talk to Buzz here today about his potential to flee to Italy. So welcome, Buzz. Welcome, Buzz. 
Okay, Buzz, you are in the process of doing something that many Americans have only dreamed of, which is to say procuring a second form of citizenship. What led you down this path? My wife, Lisa, is really the one who has done it. She's been talking about it for years. I'm eligible to be an Italian citizen. I say to you, that's great. Go do it. But the impetus really came. We thought about Trump and we think that he can win a second term. I don't care what the poll says. And then Lisa said, you know, and I said, we can't stay here. We just can't go through another four years of the craziness, the nuttery. I think he's the most abhorrent person that I've ever met. And so Lisa has pursued this. She does qualify under bloodline, takes dozens of documents and many, many hours. She had to hire someone, but we're going to do it and she'll get it. And that will give us the opportunity to leave if, in fact, he become president. Why do you think Trump's second term would be fundamentally worse than his first? First of all, he hired a lot of people around him who were not loyalists. He hired a lot of incompetence. I think experience has taught him something that he made be more effective of as a leader, particularly in terms of vengeance. I just think he's going to spend the second term looking for revenge. He's going to hire loyalists, and it's going to be sort of like the night of the long knives. He's going to be out for blood. He's going to do everything to divide the country. I think he has the potential really to be worse because he may sort of know the ropes now and how to get certain things done that he wants to get done. I just have a visceral reaction to this man. I cannot stand him. I can't stand anything about him. It's not just his politics, anything, the way he talks, the way he looks, the way he acts, his lack of empathy, his cruelty, his meanness, his ignorance, his arrogance. I just can't. And I can't go through another four years of bristling every time I see this man, because if he's president, you're not going to be able to get away from him. And we have to leave. We've talked about it very, very seriously. We've told our kids. And I'm a person of my word and tells my wife, if she gets citizenship and I can accompany her, we're gone. For how long? We don't know, but we're gone. We are not going to stay in this country, which is tragic. To be clear, Buzz, I think for some of our listeners, and this does not require you to renounce your American citizenship. It's simply a second passport, right? Just to make this clear, this is dual citizenship and it's for my wife only because I would never qualify as an Italian citizen. She does under bloodlines, under the rules. We are not renouncing citizenship. She is not renouncing citizenship. What an Italian passport gives her and gives me as her spouse, she can work in Italy. She cannot. We can go back and forth. We love America. We love this country. We're proud of this country. We've been proud of this country up to 2016 when the worst disaster in this century occurred when Donald Trump was elected. We don't want to leave. This is not some idle decision that's made off the cuff. We don't want to leave, but we feel we have no choice. So this is really the ultimate plan B. This is the ultimate plan B. And as I say, we've discussed it. We've thought about it. That's why Lisa is going through with it. We need a plan B. We need an exit. Neither of us can take another. If this man is elected and those who think, well, he won't be elected, this, this, they're crazy. We thought the same thing in 2016. And he's Teflon proof in a way. The more criminal investigations they are, the more it empowers his base. I mean, the whole thing is terrifying. It's terrifying. He said once, I could shoot someone in the street and my supporters would support. Me. And that's true. That's probably the most honest thing he's ever said. I can't be here. I can't be here for the voice. I can't be here for the way he looks, the way he talks. I agree. It's My feelings about him are grotesque and pathological, but there are millions, millions out there who simply bristle and their skin crawls when they see Donald Trump. And I 
don't want to be here. I don't want to see this beautiful, incredible country go any more down the drain and become any more divided than it already is. And it will with Donald Trump in a second term. Yeah. And also just from a personal perspective, Buzz, the psychic load of having to open up the New York Times app on your phone every day, like it's a lot. And living in this universe of so much rancor among Americans based on politics, I mean, it might be kind of relaxing relatively to be living in Italy, although the politics there aren't perfect either. Well, I mean, I think you put it really well. I just can't go through it and millions of others. I'm not the only one. He makes my skin crawl and I don't want to go through it. And I think being in Italy will be relaxing because we're not there to study Italian politics. We're just there to get away and people can visit and people will visit. Will we be there for six months, a year, four years? We don't know, but we have the wherewithal to do it. If we can get our Italian passport, we're at an age where, you know, we can pretty much live wherever we want because I don't want to go through another four years of this complete, insane, divisive, evil nuttiness. I just don't. I can't. I can't do it. Life is too short to have to go through this for another four years. It truly is. All right. Well, Buzz, we're going to need an Italian correspondent. So we are sending our best regards to you and Lisa as you go through this process. And we look forward to your reports from, I don't know, Rome, Pienza, wherever you end up. I'd love to be an Italian correspondent. So tell Graydon I'm all set and all ready and I'll do my version. We can't wait. Buzz, thank you so much for this great story and for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Buzz. Bye-bye. Okay, I love him. I think we need to have him on Morning Meeting every week. Such a treat and honor to have him here. But you know, speaking of dystopian worlds and the strange thing, I'm excited to have Joseph Bulmore on now because he's got a story this week about Hustler University, which is not related to Hustler magazine of Larry Flint's fame, but instead is kind of, as he describes in his story this week, it's as if you had taken TikTok for the bro set and combined it with what might be taught at a Trump university and you would get Hustler University. Does Anna Delvey teach a class there? I bet you and I could put together the faculty in about 15 minutes. Yeah. I have no idea why people would sign up for these courses or even pay for these courses, but Joseph Bullmore is here to explain it to us. Joseph is a contributing writer at large for Airmail, and he's also an editor at the Gentleman's Journal in London and one of our favorite people to talk to about all kinds of things. Welcome, Joseph. Okay, so we have Joseph Bullmore here. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Very exciting. So let's just get right to it. You've got a story this week about Hustler University. Yeah. And a man named Andrew Tate. Tell us, who is Andrew Tate and what is Hustler University? This is the big question. Andrew Tate is probably the most important man culturally, maybe this summer, that you've never heard of, but that your son or your nephew or your grandson almost definitely has heard of. He was, his name was Googled more times in July than Donald Trump's and Kim Kardashian's combined, which shows you his kind of reach. And in short... He's this odd kind of creation of the internet, and in particular, a very odd backwater of the internet. He is a former kickboxer, kind of part-time reality star, who has gone on to create this thing called Hustlers University, which is a weird kind of pseudo-learning institution that's half pickup school, half crypto trading school, and mostly complete nonsense. But the reason it's become so big is because somehow him and his acolytes 
his armies of kind of young men have managed to somehow game the TikTok algorithm and made his videos and clips of him viewed more than 11 billion times in just a few weeks. And these clips essentially are the bits that are really going viral and are reaching beyond just his, his cohort because they're kind of the worst manifestations of kind of modern internet misogyny. These bizarre talks about things like 18-year-olds being all the only age he'll date. He talks about the fact that women shouldn't be allowed to drive. He talks about the fact that women should be the property of their husbands. And anything you can think of in the kind of misogynic handbook, he's, he's kind of TikToking out in little clips. So I hope that's not too much of a deluge, a depressing deluge of Andrew Tate. But that, in short, is his life and his character. And now he's here to monetize it, all his lovely worldview with Hustler University. Ostensibly, it's meant to teach you these kind of get-rich-quick schemes, which is nothing new on the internet. And and it focuses on kind of things like NFTs. Bizarrely, a lot of it's about copywriting, which is apparently the way to make millions of pounds. I wish someone had told me that. And there's also kind of little add-on bits about stock trading, all this kind of usual masculine. You can you can get £10,000 a week doing nothing. The whole thing is just, to use a British word, deeply naff. But it worked, and people are signing up in their droves, and he is making millions of pounds out of these kids who are either paying £40 a month or, in some cases, up to £4,000 flat rate. Joe, do you think that this guy, Andrew Tate, was worshipping at the altar of Trump University when he came up with this ridiculous scheme? Yeah, there's a real big parallel there, isn't there? If you slap university on, on anything, it suddenly sounds kind of oddly respectable and like you're getting on with your life. But really what Andrew Tate has kind of monetized is a massive, obvious malaise with young men, and it's always young men. These kind of armies of boys who once upon a time, as I say in the piece, would have been enticed by the French Foreign Legion or kind of colonial wars, now... I suppose, are being diverted into these kind of weird masculine tribal spheres online. And it's kind of, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it, but it's preying on a very modern insecurity, basically. And for what, whatever you think about Andrew Tate, he at least seems to innately understand these men, which I would say a lot of people don't seem to be able to, particularly mainstream media, maybe. In all seriousness, he's assembling this, one could say, army of men. But it's, I mean, we see this in the US, you see it in the UK, this generation now that is, whether they're incels or what you want to call them, but guys who are detached from society and are seeing it increasingly as like they are victims and they need to reclaim their manhood and, and, and assert themselves. And a guy like, whether it's Trump or Tate comes along and articulates that and then pulls them in and all of a sudden. So I guess as well, like you spend a lot of time at Hustler University or inside of it on the internet. Do you have an idea of what Tate's game here is, what his goal is going forward? No, no, I really don't. And I think He's probably working that out because he's gone from being well-known amongst a small cohort of internet dwellers to becoming someone who's been written about extensively by every broadsheet and tabloid at this side of the pond, and I'm sure over there as well. And I think for him, it doesn't really matter what the coverage says. Notoriety, as with Trump and populists and all these things, notoriety, click, views is the goal, and he'll work out later what he wants to do with it. But for the meantime, he's making millions of pounds. He actually claimed in an interview that he was the world's first trillionaire. And that was a big scoop he gave to this podcast a few months ago, which I think can't be true. But he's definitely making millions of pounds. I wouldn't wish the hours I've spent in the chat rooms and 
servers and backwaters of the internet on anyone. It, it's an oddly grimy place that leaves you feeling a little bit filthy and sad at once. So I'm doing it so you don't have to. Thank you for that, Joe. All right, let's hope that the next one takes us into slightly cheerier territory, <laughs> or a slightly more optimistic moment. We're looking to you for that. Brilliant. Speak to you soon, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here, Joseph. Thanks as always, Joe. Cool. All right, guys. Okay, speaking of London and people there, Ashley, and your impending move to London, I'm wondering if you and our next guest, Flora Gill, I'm wondering if you are going to be hooked, like just seems like everyone else in the UK is hooked on, a show there called Naked Attraction. I'm still working my way through Love Island as part of my cultural immersion, but I'll get to that next. Okay, we got this story this week by Flora Gill, who I always love reading, but Naked Attraction is, well, I mean, she's going to tell us more about it. I'm just going to give you the thumbnail on it. It is an eye-popping dating show where basically people reveal themselves in all their nakedness to a prospective dater. When you say nakedness, do you mean emotional nakedness or physical? No, I mean as God sent you into this world. Is that the first thing that they know about you is what you look like naked? Yes. She'll tell us all. It's mind-boggling. All right, let's bring her on. Flora Gill is one of our contributors based in London. She has practiced naked yoga in the name of a good story. She's always willing to put herself out there. Let's see if she's willing to do this. Welcome, Flora. So, Flora, in 2016, the world changed with the premiere of Naked Attraction, a show on English television. What exactly is this show all about? Well, in many ways, it's a very standard dating program in that it's one person picking from six potential suitors. The big difference being that the first criteria they choose from is picking their favorite set of genitals, or at least getting rid of their least favorite set of genitals. It's all done naked, effectively. Is the face shown at all, or is it strictly the genitals? It's done in in sections. So each contestant is uh, behind a glowing box, and then the kind of front panel of the box is lifted up in various increments. So the first stage you get below the hip, and then the second stage you eliminate someone just based on the kind of chest or breast section. Then you get the face, then you get the voice, and then finally you're left with just one lucky person who for no reason is then picked by the picker then goes and gets naked to make their final choice, which just seems fair. If if you're judging other people's nude bodies, it seems fair that you go in the buff as well. It is surprisingly heartwarming. It's surprisingly uplifting. It's not as um, voyeuristic as you might think. I think that's what I found interesting about it. As you also said, like it's a complete demographic range of people. This is not just like hot 20-year-olds. This is like 76-year-old grandparents also competing, right? Which is yes. startling. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> the, the variety is huge. If anything, I think people who, with, who have what society would consider a perfect body are rarely, rarely on the show. It's people with bits of every sizes. People go on. I think also it's quite good representation. People have gone on who have stoma bags to kind of show that. People who have missing limbs or people who trans. There's a real variety of people on display. I think it does normalize the fact that all different bodies, there are so many different types of bodies. Because when you think about it, when we're not looking at our own naked bodies or the people that we're sleeping with, most of the naked or near naked bodies that most people see are either in magazines when they're near naked or on social media or in pornography. And those are hardly a realistic sampling of the world. It's easy to compare your own flaws to these filtered versions, whereas Naked Attraction is definitely not that. 
This strikes me as a distinctly English show, but I'm not totally sure why, Flora. Can you illuminate us? I completely agree. How and why did this show get on the air and how and why does it appeal to so many people in the UK? Yeah, it's really lovely. It is actually quite lovely. <laughs> I mean, it is slightly shocking. There's definitely a bit of a, oh my God, and you're definitely watching slightly for the weirdness of seeing six penises all in a row and comparing them. It is weirdly nice. Like I can hardly describe it. I don't know what makes it so English. I think it's very blunt in the way that they talk about things, which can be quite English. It's not, they joke about, but it's very it can be quite matter of fact how do you feel about asymmetric breasts or i mean they ask with the same tone you'd ask about someone's favorite color or their preferred marvel superhero it's quite to the point when you say they that's just to clarify for those of us in the u.s who haven't seen it that's the host kind of guides the selector through the, the body parts yeah Exactly. The presenter guides. And I think they must be told, well, I don't know if they're told or not to, but very, very rarely, if ever, is someone eliminated for a reason that would make you self-conscious. It's always done kind of on their preference or on, oh, I'm not such a fan of that tattoo, or I don't think the way he's standing. Very rarely. I've never seen anyone say, I'm getting rid of the person with the smallest prick. It's not really done like that. It's not meant to make anyone feel bad. I think very few people are watching every episode. It's not something, if you miss the last series of genitals, you don't need to catch up before you see the next. You can just watch a random episode for fun. Flora, a basic logistics question. What time is this on? It's on at 10 p.m. So it's reasonable. Kids have gone to sleep. It's not the middle of the day. We have some rules in England. It's not free for all. We're not doing the news in the buff. There's some things and they're never, um, then I, I don't know what the polite way of saying, the men are never to attention. I don't know what the right phrasing is that. And they also give you interesting factoids. Is that quite British? Not standing to attention. So you learn on this show too. It's a learning show. Yeah. In between, they then will give you facts like, did you know, and I can't remember any of the facts, so I'm not, I'm not going to try and make them up, but X percentage of people can only climax from this and this. Or did you know that X percent of people prefer this type of body? Or X percent of people have outy belly buttons as opposed to any belly buttons? Or gingers are known for being this. There's lots of little tidbits occasionally to keep you interested, keep it different. Okay, Flora, after I read your story, I thought, is there any territory left for dating shows to tread? Like, what's the next? Now that we have Naked Attraction, is there anything left that we could do to shock or entice people on this front? Yeah, there have been a lot of weird shows. There was one show, I don't know if it made it to America, where a couple went into a box and just had sex and then would come out and talk about their experience having sex on the show. But you just see the outside of the box while they were having sex inside. Um, I don't know what's left. I mean, there's always going to be something. All right. Well, we leave it to the English television producers, floor to make these shows and for you to interpret them for us. I think there's a market in America, though. I think you could do with it. How much money would we have to pay you to go on it? Me personally? I don't think there is an amount of money. I have to say, I love watching it. I love the message. I love it. I'm not sure I'm the demographic to go on it. I wish I was. I wish I had that confidence. How about you? What's your price? I'm with you. But Ashley's coming to live with you all very soon in the UK. So she's going to be able to watch it now at 10 o'clock every night. There you go. You know, look, if they're looking for people on the wrong side of 35, like I'm here for it. Look, the older you get, the less vain you become, I think. So sign me up. What's to be afraid of? I think that is definitely the case. I know that when Chrissy Teigen came to England, she turned on the telly and watched it one night and was horrified. But they're always looking for more bods in the pods, as they say. So Ashley, get that submission in soon.
Sign me up. I need some extracurricular activities once I get there, Flora. It's a good way to meet people, Ashley. <laughs> there you go. My husband will love it. And everyone to meet you. The whole country gets to see you. Exactly. In all my entirety. Perfect. <laughs> Flora, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Flora. Thanks. Bye. Bye, guys. Okay, Michael, now that we've done that, we need to go into marijuana and nirvana. Oh, yeah. Talk about an eye-opening story by David Kaufman this week. I knew nothing about this, and it was a shocking, in a good way, story to read. Mm -hmm. So David is an editor and writer based here in New York. He covers the parenting beat for us from time to time. And this isn't really quite a parenting story, but perhaps it is. It turns out that many parents of children diagnosed with autism are now seeking an alternative type of treatment, which is to say cannabis. In states where both it's legal and still criminalized, a lot of parents and physicians are using it, not only just the CBD form, but also the much more potent THC form to treat the symptoms of autism. It's risky, it's controversial, but it's fascinating. And it turns out that the things that marijuana does so well, which is to say decreases stimuli, promotes relaxation, forces its users to slow down a bit, that can be very beneficial to children who are suffering from autism. So it's really an interesting story from David, and I'm sure subject of much debate in certain scientific communities, but also reasons for a lot of hope for parents of children who are dealing with challenges caused by this. Okay, moving on from marijuana to nirvana. On the arts and culture front, leave it to Phoebe Waller-Bridge to discover the next big thing. Phoebe Waller-Bridge knows better than the rest that a lot of careers are made at Edinburgh Fringe, which is a performing arts festival that happens in the summer. And Waller-Bridge just took in a performance of Aberdeen, which is a new epic poem by Cassie Workman about the tortured life of Kurt Cobain known of Nirvana fame. And it was really intense. And Phoebe Waller-Bridge was very excited about it. She said, I was captivated from start to finish. I could practically feel the rain that she conjured, meaning Cassie, the writer. And Waller-Bridge is an ambassador for Fringe, so it's basically her job to go there and look for talent. But this sounds like something we really need to see. It's right now being performed at small venues in Edinburgh, but fingers crossed that it makes its way to New York and to London very soon. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. I'm tempted to read you part of it, Michael, but it's a little dark for morning meeting. We got to keep it lively and festive over here. I'm tempted to read it too, but I don't think either one of us could do it the justice that the playwright had because I'm sure her delivery of the lines would be mesmerizing. Indeed. Well, it's exciting. Exciting stuff on the cultural front that we'll be looking out for this fall. Michael, I know what I want to talk about. What's that? Legs McNeil has a great story in the issue about the Chelsea Hotel. I know. Just when you thought you couldn't find a new sort of enchanting inhabitant of the legendary Chelsea Hotel, which is the place of from Patti Smith to Sid Vicious to Dylan Thomas down here in New York, Legs encounters someone new, right? Yeah, this is a great story. So the Chelsea Hotel in New York has recently undergone a massive renovation spearheaded by a friend of Airmail, Sean McPherson. Hi, Sean. And it's spectacular. I actually went and stayed a night there because I'm going to write about it. It's not quite ready for primetime yet. It's still in what they call the construction phase, or there's some type of a construction rate at the hotel right now because the facade is still under scaffolding. Not all the facilities were open, but it is pseudo open to the public and it is absolutely spectacular. The interiors are beautiful. It's just, they've really done a wonderful job of keeping the character of the place and its complete weirdness while also updating it for guests. But anyway, so Legs McNeil tracks down this guy, Tony Noter Bernardino, who's been a resident of the Chelsea since 1994, and he's a photographer. So he's taken all these really great portraits of its bizarre residents, and Legs introduces us to some of them, which is fascinating because when you go to stay at the Chelsea Hotel, you just may meet them. Like when I was there for a night, some guy walked out of his apartment and said, can I help you? Are you looking for something? And I was like, just my room, sir. 
that's it. Like, it's kind of weird, but in a very New York specific way that makes it really great. Hmm. Well, I got another place I want to send people and it comes courtesy of Elena Claverino, who is always sort of jet setting around for us here at Airmail. And this is, I'm also going to mention, this is a kind of a public service. It's August. I know many of our listeners are probably somewhere in Europe. And if you happen to be in Greece or near Greece or somewhere in the Aegean, you should divert yourself off of Mykonos or whatever glamorous, well-known island you're on and make a little beeline for a small island that's a three-hour ferry ride from Athens called Sifnos. And it's a world away from crowded, flashy Mykonos. And it's just 13 small villages, population of maybe 2,500 people. And it is one of Greece's lesser-known islands. And as Elena also points out, you know, Greece is not really known for its food. It's, you know, it's got some good food, but it's not like Italy, which has this great variety. But as she has discovered, it has become kind of this San Sebastian for foodies. It's become a destination where everyone from Scarlett Johansson to Bono have sort of made pilgrimages there just to get the food and try the food. So if you are find yourself anywhere near there right now, you might want to take a little day trip or maybe a few day trips over there to taste the food that she has discovered. Burgeoning food scene over there. Into it. Bucket. <laughs> I love it. Okay, great. Okay, Michael, an August weekend awaits. Surely you have something you can recommend to us. I do. And it's a documentary that combines two of my favorite interests, grifters and college football. It's college football season, so it's very timely. It's called Untold, The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist, and it details the incredible, bizarre story of a man named Mante Teo. Now, if you're a sports fan, you'll remember Teo from his time as a college football All-American for Notre Dame, where he was also the runner-up for the Heisman in 2012. Well, days after what was an inspiring season, it emerged that the girlfriend he often spoke of during the season had died tragically. But that's when it gets weird. It turns out that Teo never met the girl, and Teo was in fact the victim of an elaborate catfishing scam. And when the scandal broke, it turned him into a national punchline and messed with his talent as a professional player. It's a strange, twisted story. Uh, and the real get here is that the directors uh, get the catfisher to cooperate on camera. So check it out. It's called Untold, The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist, and it's on Netflix now. And you, Ashley? Consider me intrigued. I will check it out. I have something as well that I could recommend. Uh, there's a show. Uh, this is not my usual highbrow BritBox fair, okay? But if you have a Netflix subscription, which I suspect many of our listeners do, I would highly suggest you take a look at Uncoupled, which is the new Darren Star series on Netflix. Some are calling it the gay sex in the city. We will leave that to you to decide, but it stars Neil Patrick Harris as a man named Michael, whose partner has recently left him after 18 years together. And he is starting fresh on his own and also working as a real estate agent. So not only does this give you a great dose of New York City real estate porn, who doesn't love that, but it also has some really funny and charming insights into relationships, especially the transactional type of relationships in make New York click in many ways. So it stars Neil Patrick Harris. He's he's accompanied by a great cast of supporting characters like Marsha Gay Harden, who portrays one of his clients. It's really well done. It's funny. It's charming. It's a break from all the gravitas in the news these days. It's called Uncoupled on Netflix, produced by Darren Starr and starring Neil Patrick Harris. If you don't like it, I apologize, but I really think you will. And it was just renewed for a second season. Congrats, Neil. All right, Michael, on that note, it's been wonderful having you all. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back to you live from London next week with episode 102. Michael, please read us out. 
Absolutely. Morning Meaning is produced by Airplay Productions and edited by Jesse Cannon. Our co-editors are Graydon Carter and Alessandra Stanley. Our chief operating officer is Bill Keenan, and our deputy editors are Ashley Baker, Chris Garrett, Nathan King, and Julie Vitelli. Our CMO is Emily Davis, and our music supervisor is Randall Poster. Our theme music is The Cute Monster by the Buddy Colette Quintet. A new edition of Airmail is published every Saturday, so please subscribe and enjoy all of our stories on airmail.news, which we update every day. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Airmail Weekly. We will be back here next Saturday with another edition of Morning Meeting. In the meantime, be sure and subscribe at Spotify or Apple Music. But most of all, thanks again for joining us.